Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. Thanks for joining us this Thanksgiving. We're bringing you a special edition of On Balance as we give thanks with family and friends, and of course, we're thankful and grateful to all of you for your trust every night. This holiday, of course, will be especially hard for the families of Americans killed in the October 7th attack in Israel. The push to secure the release of all the hostages has proven to be one of the most contentious and difficult issues in the history of the Middle East. Tonight, we're gonna to dive into the complexities of American involvement in the Middle East. The U.S. military repositioned a nuclear capable submarine, the clearest sign yet that fears over a wider conflict are significant. Also tonight, a look at how Israel is fighting back on the digital battlefield to win the hearts and minds of Americans here at home, to win the conversations that we're all going to have this weekend. Then later, the race for the Republican nomination. Former President Trump holds a massive lead over challengers Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. How about that conversation over the Thanksgiving table? Vivek Ramaswamy is trying to hang with the pack after an early surge. Bill O'Reilly on whether or not anyone in the GOP can actually take down Donald Trump. Plus, a look at whether the Pentagon is closer to answer the prevailing age-old question, are we alone? Of course, whistleblowers continue to claim there's cover-ups at the highest levels of government. Do we actually have proof that there is life somewhere out there among us? And if so... Why has it been so hard to ever see that proof? All that and more in a special edition of On Balance. Happy Thanksgiving. Rule number one of having nuclear missile submarines is that you don't talk about having nuclear missile submarines. You don't talk about where they are or what they are doing. The exact location of America's Ohio-class nuclear submarines equipped with nuclear tipped intercontinental ballistic missiles and cruise missiles are among some of the most closely guarded secrets in our military. Yet things are so combustible right now in the Middle East. U.S. Central Command felt the need to put out a tweet announcing an Ohio-class submarine was heading in. Here's how Gene Hackman described what's now sitting off Iran's coastline. We're going over there and bringing the most lethal killing machine ever devised. One purpose alone, keep our country safe. That might sound dramatic, but clearly the Pentagon feels they need 
that ultimate option. Over the weekend, Iran's defense minister said, and we are quoting now, our advice to Americans is to immediately stop the war in Gaza and implement a ceasefire. Otherwise, they, meaning the United States, will be hit hard. The Ohio-class sub hits back, well, harder. 20 Trident ballistic missiles, each with four thermonuclear warheads on top, or up to 154 Tomahawk cruise missiles that they can launch from deep beneath the sea. They sit under the water for months, hiding and waiting for that launch order. That's all that happens when something comes out. The sub adds to the B-1 bombers, 17,000-plus American military personnel, including two carrier strike groups, Bataan Amphibious Group as well, and dozens of fighter planes. But Iran continues, well, to not get the message. The Iranian proxy group Hezbollah just put out this video of their anti-ship weapons capable of firing from Lebanon's coast at American carriers. And Israel says it won't stop until they get their hostages back. They cut off Gaza City and have started tightening the noose on Hamas over the weekend, although it could be a long and bloody battle. It likely will. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, CIA Director William Burns, spent a sleepless weekend going from Tel Aviv to Turkey to half a dozen other Middle East capitals, trying to really put the genie actually back in the bottle. They are both seasoned diplomats. They are also the two men who designed President Biden's engagement policy towards Iran and helped negotiate, giving Iran $6 billion. So we have a nuclear submarine ready to launch its missiles, and the same people who gave Iran $6 billion flying around the Middle East trying to make sure things don't go boom. Mark Kimmett is here, retired U.S. Army Brigadier General, among other accolades. It's good to see you, General. Thank you. Um, I've been doing this for a while. You've been doing it for longer. Have you ever seen the Pentagon telegraph where an Ohio-class sub is headed? Uh, I haven't, but but I think it's important to clarify that the Ohio-class submarine, like all submarines, are nuclear-powered. However, the Ohio-class SSBNs are designed to carry only conventional weapons and not nuclear weapons. They carry Tomahawk missiles and, uh, of course, uh, torpedoes to defend themselves. But unless something's changed since I was wearing the uniform, those are strictly conventional weapons that they have inside of that, uh, lo- those launch tubes. Well, to, to be fair, you wouldn't need to position the Trident missiles next to Iran. You can sort of launch those from anywhere anywhere around. What, I, what, what I'm trying to figure out is why send that message? What, what is the message being sent to the Iranians? Why give up stealth and sort of the opaqueness that the Pentagon and the Navy always want about where these boats are? What are they trying to telegraph to Iran? Well, first of all, they remain extraordinarily stealthy. Uh, while you can say they're somewhere in the Persian Gulf or the Indian Ocean, you don't know where it is. The second thing I think, however, is very, very important, which is since October 10th, when he gave the speech, what I call the no-no speech, uh, what President Biden is trying to do is send a very clear message to those that would try to enter the war. Uh, He is trying to isolate this war between Gaza and Israel. What he's trying not to do uh, is allow Hezbollah, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, uh, Iraqi militias, and candidly, other Iranian-backed proxies to get yeah. into this war. All right. We've seen since that speech roughly 40 attacks on 
U.S. bases and, and U.S. interests throughout the Middle East by these Iranian militias. You obviously, during your time in Iraq, uh, fought against these Iranian-backed militias, right? They, they have the blood of about 1,000 U.S. troops on their hands from the IEDs and other devices they planted. I'm wondering what you make so far of only one fairly minor response militarily by the United States to 40-plus attacks, or about 40 attacks now, by the Iranian proxies. Yeah, it was very interesting to note that when Secretary Austin talked about the response to these attacks, that he said that these were separate and unique from what is happening in Gaza uh, and Israel. Uh, They're trying to isolate that fight as well. Uh, I was just coming back from Iraq two weeks ago when a couple of those attacks happened. Uh, it It is by the grace of God, neither American diplomats nor American soldiers were killed. I think we'd see a very, very significant response and a very different response if any Americans or diplomats were killed as part of those attacks. Wow. So you were, you were there during the attacks? I, I don't know what of that you can share with us, but whatever it would be would be interesting in terms of what, what happens, what their capabilities are, the defenses that the Americans have. Well, I don't want to share the defenses the Americans have. I think it's commonly known what type of uh, anti-drone, uh, anti-missile capabilities they have there. Uh, these Are there are sirens that go off? Just take us through what happens. Uh, no, I won't take you through what's happened because okay. I think what we do is protect operational security. Okay, no, no, fair, fair enough. I appreciate that. Let's be fair to the administration here. How much do you see of Blinken and Burns flying around the Middle East as giving the Israelis time, which if you're a general who has uh, the offensive momentum right now, the best thing that you can get is time to continue operations, right? Yeah, but uh, I think if you also listen to Jonathan Conricus, the spokesman, he will tell you that they need the time, but if they can buy a few days by Blinken and Burns in the region, that's not going to make a bit of difference. Uh, Israel knows that this is going to be a long war. Uh, look how long Fallujah took, nine, nine weeks plus. Mosul took nine months. Aleppo is still fighting. So uh, the time they need is enough time for Hamas to release the hostages. And then everything becomes a new game once those hostages are released. However, until those hostages are released, Netanyahu has been very clear. He will continue yeah. the ground fight and he'll continue the air fight. Yeah, no, they've, they've been crystal clear uh, about that. And, and that you, you think, how do you tell the, the families of the hostages? Um, we have some on tomorrow. How do you tell them, hey, we're, we're not going to keep fighting. There's a ceasefire while your loved ones are still inside Gaza. General, we appreciate it. Thank you. We're glad you made it back safe, sir. Thank you. One of the biggest dangers Israelis face in Gaza is the blurred line between innocent Palestinians and Hamas. Uh, They're fighting literally building by building, street by street inside Gaza. And despite what you hear, Gaza is not a few bad actors amid a majority of peace-loving Palestinians. In fact, polling from before the war shows 58% of Palestinians in Gaza support a return to the armed intifada, i.e. terrorism, rockets, killing Israelis. If a new presidential election were held with two candidates in Gaza, Fatah, that's the Palestinian Authority's Mahmoud Abbas, would receive 37% of the vote, Hamas's leader would win in a landslide, 58%. Curiously, that's very different than how President Biden has explained the situation. The vast majority of Palestinians are not Hamas. Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. Hmm. That's very different than 58%.
Mark Melman is a Democratic pollster and strategist. He pointed this out in an op-ed in The Hill and joins us now. It's good to see you, sir. I'm, I'm seeing behind you Democratic majority for Israel. I, I'm wondering why there's this distinction being made about what percentage of Palestinians support Hamas. Well, let's let's be clear. Uh, against Abbas, a vast majority support uh, Hamas. If you were to say in the legislative elections, leaving out Abbas, who was extremely unpopular, and just say it's between Hamas and, and Fatah, which is the Abbas's party, you get about a third uh, for uh, Hamas, about a third for uh, Fatah, and about a third that say, gosh, I can't vote for either of those two parties. Um, but really more important than that, the reality is, as you pointed out a moment ago, you do have a majority of Palestinians that favor violence at this moment, that favor armed confrontation. That is a sad commentary. It's an unfortunate commentary, but it is the reality. And if we don't recognize that reality, it's going to be and change it. It's going to be impossible to really achieve peace. Yeah, 48 percent of Americans, 18 to 24, support Hamas in the current war with Israel. Is there a whitewashing going on in America of not this feeling of being pro-Palestinian, but that being pro-Palestinian in the way of chanting from the river to the sea and intifada, intifada, that that there's a problem with people who are pro-Hamas. There's a large majority, the large amount of Americans who are just fine with violence against Jews. Well, honestly, I, I don't think it's a majority at all. And I don't think it's even a majority of those young people. I think those young people are saying are ignorant, frankly, of, of what's going on. Uh, we've seen in polling, for example, that a majority of these folks think that there was a country called Palestine that existed and which Israel invaded and took over. Completely false, completely ridiculous, no basis in historical fact, whatever. That's what they believe. So they feel sorry for Palestinians. I understand that. Uh, and they see this as a way of, they see this, uh, these rallies and so on as a, as a way to uh, communicate their sympathy for the Palestinians, but they're backing the wrong horses. They don't understand that there is Hamas, which is horrific, and the Palestinian Authority, which is frankly bad, but not nearly as bad as Hamas. And they really don't understand the situation at all. Yeah, you make a great point. Uh, when I, I was waiting for you to say, and there's the Palestinian Authority, which is not much better than Hamas. Um, as we as we've come to learn um, in so many different ways. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Conventional wisdom is seldom right. Bill O'Reilly with us on whether we can assume it will be Trump versus Biden a year from now. And Bud Light can't make anybody happy. They just made a deal with the UFC to beef up their manly image. How that's backfiring next. I'm the biggest advocate of biological females. If I said my views on transgenders, I would be kicked off I am suspending my campaign. I, I think the voters uh, who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying not now. All right, so that's Tim Scott suspending his presidential campaign. Maybe he was running for vice president after all. He says he's not going to endorse anybody. He'll wait and see. As we told you last week, it's now Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley for the number two spot to take on Donald Trump. As you see, the main event premiering in Iowa in January. Of course, Safe Money says who cares about them. It's actually going to be Trump versus Biden in the general election. 
that's conventional wisdom. But conventional wisdom, one year out, has not been right since 2000. Bush v. Gore ran in front pillow to post. November before the 2004 election, Howard Dean was going to be the Democratic nominee. Turned out to be John Kerry. 2007, it looked like Giuliani versus Clinton. Neither went the distance. That's conventional wisdom for you. 2011, Herman Cain was hot in November. Mitt Romney went on to win the nomination and then lose. November 2015, Ben Carson was up six points. He disappeared. November 2019, we had never heard of COVID, and Elizabeth Warren led the polls. Biden was an afterthought. Bill O'Reilly is here, host of the No Spin News. Bill, all right, uh, conventional wisdom going to be right this time around? It's not conventional this time around because both of the front runners are very well known. Um, so there are in-stone voters on both sides. They're not going to change. And um, field for the grand old party uh, named in 1856, Leland, I know you know that, um, is now down to two, really. Um, it's uh, Ambassador Haley and Governor DeSantis. And I don't think either of them have the juice to uh, overcome Trump, who's inoculated himself against all these charges. Uh, his supporters don't care. They think it's a bunch of hooey. And so I think Trump is pretty much a lock. Biden, anything could happen. And the man is diminishing yeah. quickly, as we've discussed. Um, he's going to have a real problem with the Hunter Biden grifting stuff. More of that's going to come out. Axelrod doesn't want him to run, which means Obama doesn't want him to run because Axelrod and Obama are one and the same. So Biden, uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure Trump will be there. Look, I, I agree with you. Um, we said a long time ago that the real drama is going to probably be on the Democratic side, not on the Republican side, just because of where it is. And, and that would hold, right? Or a year out, it wouldn't be what people um, thought it was. You made a great point, though, I think, that the, the Trump is inoculated um, with his supporters as it comes to uh, the issues that have been brought up before and the indictments and everything else. Yet there is some who just can't seem to give up that ghost. Here is an interview with Ronna McDaniel, uh, the RNC chairwoman, about that. If you end up having Donald Trump as your nominee and if he is convicted of a crime, do you believe that he would be the appropriate nominee for the Republican Party? Whoever the voters choose is the appropriate nominee. Even if, even if he's a convicted criminal? I know this is newsworthy, but as party chair, I'm going to support who the voters choose. And yes, if they choose Donald Trump. For people who for so long told us that democracy, the rule of law, preservation of democracy was so important, why do they seem so interested in trying to take away if Donald Trump wins the nomination, something he won. Because there's a fear that uh, Trump will go in and run on his record. And if he ever did that, if Donald Trump ever ran on his record, he'd win by a landslide. The problem huh? with Donald Trump is he doesn't run on his record. He runs on the feud du jour, Leland. Whatever feud he's in that day is what he's running on. He doesn't run on his record. His record is pretty damn good. If you look at it, it's light years better than Biden's record. But Donald Trump is his own guy, and he's got the drummer, and he's dancing to the drummer. I feel like 
few du jours, like the soup du jour, which sounds interesting sometimes, but it's never really the best thing um, on the menu. You brought up Nikki Haley, <laughs> who you said you didn't you didn't think had uh, the chops to to take on Donald Trump. Interestingly enough, she's got a lot of money. She just spent uh, $10 million that she announced in ad buys in the initial states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. Take a listen. I've never lost a race. I'm not going to start now. There's a new sheriff in town. Don't mess with Nikki Haley. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. I wear heels. It's not for a fashion statement. It's because if I see something wrong, we're going to kick them every single time. She seems to focus a lot on her high heels, right? It's not a statement. It's ammunition on and on and on. That said, um, if she goes toe to toe with Donald Trump, it's one on one at some point uh, early on. Say, let's just say Iowa before New Hampshire, after Iowa before New Hampshire. Can he do to her? Um, as a woman, what he was so effective in doing in the 2016 primary? Maybe. Um, I think Haley is a good VP choice for Donald Trump. So if he would agree with me, and I don't know whether he does or not, he'd lay off her because she's not going to beat him out, right? You say it's going to be Haley against uh, Trump, that's not going to happen. There's always going to be DeSantis there mm. to water her down, to dilute her support. And Trump's support is going to remain pretty rock solid in the Republican precincts. But I would take a hard look at Ambassador Haley as a second slot. And if Trump got run over by a bus tomorrow, and if it's in New York City, there would be a lot of people who like to drive that bus, uh, Haley could beat Biden. Outright. And, and I think pretty handily as well. Interesting you say that because the polling that came out today, as you pointed out, has Trump beating Biden. It, it does not have Ron DeSantis beating Biden. It has DeSantis losing. Bill, it's always no. good to see you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Emmy. See you soon. As much as Bud Light wants to quit Dylan Mulvaney, it can't. It cannot shake their brief relationship with the trans influencer. And it was brief. Only one day. But... Bud Light has now started a new relationship, a $100 million deal with the UFC, and that has its own problems. Here is MMA fighter Sean Strickland. You know how I feel about transgenders. I go hard, just what I do. I'm the biggest advocate of biological females. If I said my views on transgenders, I would get kicked off Instagram. Uh, yeah, and he said a lot of things that we probably can't air here on this program. Sean Strickland says he's going to fix Bud Light and applauds them for, quote, doing the right thing. Bud Light's decision, of course, didn't have anything to do with right or wrong, but rather dollars and cents. Revenue for the parent company, InBev, was down 13 percent. They noted that sales to retailers were down primarily due to the volume decline of Bud Light. Here now, editor and publisher of Beer Business Daily, Harry Schumacher. Harry, it's good to see you as always. You kind of predicted this whole thing uh, would happen and it would play out in this way. We're glad to have you back. Intel Bud Light has, and I hate to use this term, some type of moral clarity over who their customer is and what their customer wants. Is it possible for them to recover? Uh, well, I, it hasn't so far, Leland. I mean, they've, the Bud Light itself has been down in volume about 30% since June. And it's stuck exactly there, right between 27 and 31 percent. It really hasn't moved. And it hadn't gotten better despite all the spending, the vast increase in marketing spending over the summer. 
and uh, new partnerships like you mentioned, the UFC, which is just getting started. Um, but they released their earnings this morning, and I guess the good news is is that they haven't lost any more share, and so that that's the current spin. But it's still it's still rough for those guys. Yeah, uh, from the Hill, how a fifteen thousand Bud Light giveaway needlessly cost InBev twenty seven billion, referring to their market cap, um, and and obviously the Dylan Mulvaney thing continues to snowball. I guess the question is, and you report on this. Has there been any thought among the executives at Bud Light to just issue a mea culpa and say, hey, look, we're sorry, we screwed up, we're going to learn from this? Or from a political correctness standpoint, are they unable? Uh, they're unable. Um, you know, I, it, first of all, it's not part of AB's culture to ever issue a, a mea culpa. It hasn't been that way huh? for 100 years. Um, they've always been the largest brewery in the world by far, and they, uh, they know it. Um, as far as Emil Kopar, but I think you're right. Politically, with and a lot of their own employees would have issue with it, and it, it you know issuing an apology would be a, an admission that they did something wrong, and that is a tough thing to navigate in the, today's political environment. Yeah, it it really is. So this is Dana White of the UFC talking about things. Take a listen. They do a lot of great things. They employ 65,000 people in this country. They take care of farmers. I'm going to focus on the good that they do. We are very aligned in many different areas. Can simply hiring one group, one one influencer cancel out another influencer, especially when there's now people who are saying, hey, we're not going to buy Bud Light because of the connection to the UFC. Once you've taken a stand on one thing, don't you kind of have to own that and take a stand on everything? Uh, no, I, I don't think AB feels it in those kind of uh, that kind of framing. And I think Dana White, I mean, that you couldn't ask for better PR, unearned PR. I mean, you know, he laid down all the veterans they've supported, um, the farmers they support, uh, uh, the folds of honor. You know, they've done that for years. And for them to say it, it's not as resonating. And, you know, Dana White made a point to say, yeah, you know, I don't, it's not about the money. I already have enough money. Um, this is about values. And, you know, the other thing that's really not being reported much is this is also a global deal. And remember, Modelo, the, the, the took over the number one spot for Bud Light in the United States, is owned by Constellation only in the United States. And Azure Bush owns Modelo everywhere else. And so huh. they couldn't do a global deal. And so I think that was attractive to the UFC. Yeah, it's kind of funny when I think about uh, you said when they said, you know, it's not about the money. Um, normally when tells you, somebody tells you what it's not about, that's exactly uh, what it's about. <laughs> you know that as a journalist. I've, le- I've learned that as well. It's good to see you. Thank you uh, right. very much. The saga continues and you will be back, Thank sir. You. Coming up next, Israel on the battlefield in Gaza and also on the digital battlefield. We'll take you inside the battle for hearts and minds around the world. Powerful is the Cox Network. So powerful that one day the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network with gig speeds everywhere. 
It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. As temperatures drop, FH Fur invites you to be part of something truly heartwarming. Our Fall into Comfort Toy Drive. Through December 15th, for only $29, the experts at FH Fur will perform a comprehensive heating system inspection, ensuring your home stays snug through the chilly months ahead. The best part? 100% of the proceeds will go to the United States Marine Corps Reserve's Toys for Tots. Schedule your heating inspection today with FH Fur. 877-CALL-FUR-FHFUR.COM Jumpstart your week with a positive message. Tune in to Weekly Wisdom with me, Pastor Keith Battle of Zion Church, this Sunday and every Sunday morning at 7.30 a.m. on WPGC 95.5. And if you are looking for a practical, relevant, and always timely message, we've got you covered. Visit zionchurch.org to learn more about our virtual campus in multiple locations across the DMV. I was crossing the street when I met the love of my life. I chased after her. Nothing would stand in my way. Not the dog walker, nor the hot dog vendor. Finally reaching her, I asked, what do you call that amazing smell? Um, it's Gain Flings. Gain Flings. My love had a name, but more importantly, it had a scent. Fall in love with Gain Flings. Seriously good scent. Save on Gain Flings at your local CVS today. News Nation has the next GOP presidential primary debate. This is Elizabeth Vargas. I'll be moderating this debate along with Sirius XM's Megyn Kelly. Join us Wednesday, December 6th, right here on News Nation. Hello there, this is Nat King Cole wishing you all a happy and a Merry Christmas. The joy of living is in the giving. So let's give lots of toys for tots. Toys, toys, toys for tots. Some have too many. Some haven't any. If those who have give those who haven't, oh, what a Christmas day. The Marine Reserve will help you, will help you fill your sleigh with lots and lots of toys for tots. So give a little toy today. Since 1947, the United States Marine Corps has been helping Santa fill his sleigh, making happier holidays for deserving children right in your community. Go to toysfortots.org and learn how you can make a difference. You're listening to On Balance with Leland Vitter on News Nation, America's fastest growing cable news network. This is McGruff the Crime Dog, and I need you to help me take a bite out of crime. Counterfeit products are popping up everywhere. If you think buying them is harmless, think again. Counterfeits are usually made with hazardous and even lethal ingredients that could harm you and others. And the money you paid, it goes right into the hands of criminals. Remember, if you don't know where the products came from, how could you know where the money goes? You're smart. Buy smart. Go for real. Learn more at McGruffPSA.org. This message is brought to you by the United States Patent and Trademark Office and the National Crime Prevention Council. If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition, and Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. 
At Susan G. Komen, we believe that ending breast cancer needs all of us working together. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to honor the loved one you've just lost, we have a place for you here. Because of you, we're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Visit Komen.org and be a part of our Susan G. Komen community today. We're back with some breaking news. This just coming down moments ago. Israel has agreed to four-hour daily humanitarian pauses in the fighting with Hamas. Four-hour pause in northern Gaza each day. This is huge. This is huge. All right, that's just some of the reporting on where you heard a major announcement from the White House. It's perhaps just the latest example of what can be described as spin during the conflict between Israel and Hamas, generously caused spin. We're going to get to the online propaganda that's been spun uh, in favor of both sides. Both sides are trying to spin in a minute, and there is a lot of that. But first, why today's announcement comes with an asterisk? Just look at the headlines. Israel will begin four-hour pauses. Biden gets four-hour battle pauses. Western media paints this as something new and big and a big change. Even the National Security Council spokesman called it a big deal. It's actually not new. Israel's been doing this for a while now. IDF spokesperson Jonathan Conricus is here. Uh, it's good to see you, sir. I- I'm trying to figure out, is there anything different that's happening than I'd seen over the past five, six days? Corridors for humanitarian evacuations, Israeli troops protecting Gazan civilians as they move south? Yeah, thank you for having me. What's happening is, you know, there's reality on the ground. Reality on the ground is dictated by what the troops are doing and, of course, what the enemies are doing. Uh, What we are doing is, and we have been doing that for the last five days, is to allow Palestinian civilians in northern Gaza to evacuate towards the south. We're doing that because we want to empty the battlefield. We're not fighting the civilians. They are not our enemy. We want to get to Hamas and dismantle Hamas in their strongholds. And it's simply a much better and easier way of doing it without having civilians in the way being used as human shields by Hamas. To that point, Colonel, about the human shields, we're watching and we can see now there's some humanitarian trucks moving north. I know the IDF has searched those to make sure there's not weapons going in. Uh, We've seen the the Israeli soldiers protecting uh, the civilians moving south and Israeli tanks along that that line. What are we to make of the, the reports that Hamas is still holding human shields? Does this mean there are no human shields left or is Hamas still holding some people? They are unfortunately holding still, I would say, hundreds of thousands. Uh, We estimate that between 800 and 900,000 Palestinians have evacuated south, despite us asking, pleading with them for two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks, we've been telling them, move south, go to the south. There is food, water, there is access to medicine, and there's a humanitarian safe zone. All of that in the south, the only thing you have to do is walk a few miles. It's not crossing uh, Wyoming. It is just walking about five miles, five, six miles from where they are to relative safety in the south. And that's the thing to do. No, the Gaza Strip's a small place. I've been there myself, small but densely populated. Um, Ground truth inside the Gaza Strip, we saw uh, the the video come out of the watch party uh, of the Hamas videos uh, 
and clips of Hamas that were being played by Hamas for folks in the Gaza Strip, which sort of flies in the face of the idea that there's massive uh, power outages uh, inside Gaza or that there's a limit of uh, Internet because all of these uh, seem to be able to be getting out just fine. Things have changed a little bit since my time, uh, 2010 to 2014, uh, in terms of how aggressive the IDF is being, not just in you all talking, but in the amount that you all are putting out of information. There, there's an irony, right, of the IDF putting out video of aid trucks moving in, insofar as part of the war you all are fighting is an information one, is it not? That is true. And, you know, you spoke about reports from the White House. Everybody is basing their decision making, not necessarily all of the time, on uh, verified facts on the ground presented by reliable sources. But a lot of it is based on unverified reports in the media. Gaza is a place that reporters are not allowed to report what they want, especially local freelancers. Um, they report what Hamas tells them to report to Reuters, CNN, Associated Press. There's a report um, that some uh, freelancers may have gotten a tip off to the October 7th attacks. Th that's all sort of in, in dispute right now. What I'm curious is, when you see your reporting and the the fact that the the stories that Israel puts out, and then the sort of same validity given to information coming from Hamas uh, in American media, what do you make of that? Yeah, first and foremost, we want to be I, we are careful with claiming anything about what journalists are doing in Gaza. And at this stage, we are not saying that uh, they were participants or that they had a tip-off or anything like that. We want to be clear about that. And we continue to uh, respect the security and the safety of journalists in Gaza. Full stop. Second thing is that, you know, they report what Hamas allows them report, to report. And if they don't report correctly, according to the Hamas message page, then they face consequences. They and their family. They are compromised. Yeah. Palestinian stringers are compromised in Gaza, and they are under tremendous pressure by Hamas. They're not necessarily bad people. They're under tremendous pressure by yeah. Hamas, and they can only report what's okay with Hamas. And then that gets out, and it has the logo of the New York Times or the AP, and then that's the truth. No, yeah, I, I hear you. I, Look, I, I've dealt with it myself. I mean, I, I worked with stringers in Gaza as well, and you had to you had to sort of ba try try and figure out what was Hamas propaganda and what were they really trying to tell you. Last question for you. I'm sure you've seen this, that uh, in the past couple of hours, the release of the Islamic Jihad hostage video um, with an offer to release uh, two hostages with medical conditions. Uh, any response from the Israeli government on that? Yeah, I, I've seen it. You know, that boy, uh, he is the age of uh, my third oldest son, and I couldn't but think of him when I saw him. And I listened to his words. I think he's a tremendously brave young man. Um, this is psychological warfare of the lowest order. Uh, what the Hamas and the Islamic Jihad are doing is just trying to manipulate. Um, it's good that you're not showing the clip, only a, free, a, a frame from it. You shouldn't be showing the clip because that would just uh, further their aims. We understand what they're doing. Our commitment is to bring all of them back. And the only way there's going to be any type of ceasefire is for all of our hostages, all of our 239 women, children, babies, elderly and men to be brought back home to Israel in safety. Hamas are accountable for it. And uh, we are committed to getting them back in any way, by force or all by right. diplomacy. All right.
Fair enough. Colonel, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Coming up next, the Pentagon goes on the record on UFOs. You know all these incredible objects? Well, are they really life from another planet? The Pentagon has figured out a way to finally solve the alien UFO question once and for all. They're going to do it. In order to help solve the problem, they announced a new website. And we looked up the website. It's up and running, although we couldn't see if it's working because, quote, this form is to be used for official business with the Department of Defense, knowing and willfully false reporting can be punished by fine or imprisonment. And since we don't know anything about UFOs and we don't want to go to jail, we didn't submit anything to see if the website works. But at least on first blush, it appears to be working better than the Obamacare website. It comes in response to News Nation reporting from a UFO whistleblower who said there are secret government programs to retrieve alien crashed vehicles and that the government has aliens. Uh, Cuomo's been doing a lot of reporting on this. Really? Like, it's sort of like almost insulting for them to just say, hey, here's a website, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it yeah. is uh, kind of it is, uh, such a typical kind of doing the minimum. For me, this isn't about, look, it's, it's good that people have a form they can fill out, whatever. It's about transparency. What do you know? If there's nothing to know, then tell at least the elected representatives of the American people why that's the case. Uh, but this, to me, is a story not about little green men. It's about transparency and the government making decisions uh, that they don't have to let the people who put them in power know what they're doing with their power. There's a lot of members of Congress who do not get access to the most secretive government programs, right? There's the what they call the yes. Gang of Eight, which is the, the House, minor, uh, House Speaker, Minority Leader, uh, same on the Senate side, and the chairs of the Intel right. Committees. There, there's, there's all these different ways. And what I'm wondering is, is we've never heard from one of those people saying right. things are being covered up. And what I'm wondering is, what gives the right of all of these other elected representatives, who you and I both know leak, leak like sieves, because we get leaks from them all the time, to know things that, that may be uh, in in the interest of the United States for our enemies not to know. I, I'm with you on it. And, you know, what bothers me even more is when I was watching those hearings and you see who the players are and who, more importantly, who they're not. What bothers me is that the people in power don't believe there's any advantage in this issue. It's not that you know, they only care about what they can use against the other side and to shore up their own side. And, in, and unless one party can prove that the other party's full of aliens... They don't want anything to do with this issue because they see no advantage. So they just ignore uh, it. They I, just I, ignore I, don't, it. I guess I don't, I don't see that they ignore it. I see that perhaps that, you know, if the speaker at the time or others had been told, hey, look, uh, there, there, there may be a top secret program that involves either uh, these are U.S. government crafts or they're, they're Chinese or Russian or whatever they are. Uh, therefore, they know, and they also know about weapons programs that the rest of the House doesn't know about. I go on. What I can't figure out, though, is like the, the way the DOD is handling this, right? They have this w website where if you are a member of the U.S. government or have a security clearance or part of the defense you know, con contracting groups, you can submit very sensitive information online. Of all things, right. don't they realize the Internet is not secure? Like, it just boggles my mind. Hey, maybe the only way we find out is if somebody hacks it.
<laughs> so, you know, I mean, may, may, maybe it's a good thing uh, that it's there because they're not going to tell us. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, okay, when somebody hacks the UFO website, um, they're coming to you for the idea. I had absolutely nothing to do with this segment, even though I was here for it. We'll see you in about 10 minutes, Chris. All right, I'll see you later. New data proving that your grandparents, grandparents of any generation, are probably right. The kids these days, well, they just can't figure it out. They can't adult. There's some truth to that. We'll see you in a minute. Nation. News for all America. This Thanksgiving here at News Nation, we are thankful and grateful to you, our viewers. Without your trust and time, nothing we do says or matters. We hope your Thanksgiving centers around fun, food, family, and football. But invariably, it's going to turn to politics. It always does. So when it does, tell your family about News Nation. Tell them why you trust us why you think we're fair, and why you choose to spend a part of your evening with us. We're grateful for that. And now as we leave you tonight, something all parents are grateful for, kids who finally pave their own path. For some Gen Zers, though, it's getting harder and harder. Something people are talking about around the Thanksgiving table as well. It reminded us of this clip from the movie Billy Madison. Man, I'm so nervous. I mean, first and second grade were easy, but social studies, division, this is going to be tough. Man, I'm so nervous. I mean, first and second grade were easy, but social studies, division, this is going to be tough. Relax, dude. Jackpot. Not growing up used to be a thing only in movies, something that we all made fun of. That's why it was in the movies. Now it's just a Generation Z thing. And to be fair, quote-unquote, adulting is harder than it once was. 55% say it's much harder to buy a home. 44% say it's much harder to find a job. And apparently, marriage is a generational thing as well. Two in five think marriage is outdated tradition. 85% think marriage is not necessary. I mean, 15% think it is. 73% think it's too expensive to get married. Elmila Jashinsky, culture editor at The Federalist, is here. Does Gen Z get a bad rap? Bad rap? Well, do you remember, I was reading this New York Post article about Gen Z, and it actually felt like something that was written in 2012 about millennials. I'm a millennial. Um, Lillian, you're a millennial, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I think I mean, you are. I don't want to. I don't want to help you as a millennial, but yeah. <laughs> but there, there were a lot of articles written like this. I don't this think, about I don't think you can change when you were born. Like no matter how you no. identify, I think your birth. We're still your birth year is your birth year. So 1982, that if I'm one. a millennial, guilty as charged. Okay, so you are a millennial. You are a millennial, okay. uh, but barely. Uh, but there were all of these articles written about 10 years ago about millennials, except I do think there's this big difference with Gen Z in that they grew up in a climate where so many of these different norms and traditions had been utterly brought to the ground. You know, marriage is a really good example. And so they didn't have, you know, we were looking at the boomers for an example, and they were still getting married at higher rates. They were obviously one of the first generations to experience things like no-fault divorce, but they were still getting married at higher rates. Gen Z didn't see a lot of that. And marriage is kind of that building block for how people end up being able to buy houses, how people are comfortable having kids. And if you don't start with that building block, then a lot of the other things are going to happen either out of order or not at all. So it makes sense. I think college debt is another huge part of this conversation. If you're graduating with an average 
of about $40,000 in student loan debt, that makes all of the rest of this a lot harder, too. How much of it, though, is this sort of tearing down of the idea of nuclear family and tearing down of norms that is the, the social fabric, if you will, that, that binds so much of America, frankly, binds so much of society together for eons? It's, I think that's an absolutely essential part of it, and there's no question that's been happening. There's also no question that the social science shows, uh, A, most people want to have children, and B, most children are better off in a household with both of their parents. I mean, this is just yeah. decades of research in addition to common sense. And so, yeah, I think we're entering into like a, a really frightening period, uh, socioeconomically, culturally. This is scary stuff, and I do think yeah, that no, it goes no, it's back a great- to... It's a great point. Gen, Z, Gen when- Z may not be the problem, but we got 10 seconds. But the, the kids of Gen Z may be the problem. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm a millennial. I'm already are starting to lose my memory. 41. It, it starts. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.